Well, good morning. It is great to be here. This thing is huge. Um, so this summer, I'm walking down the street with uh, a guy that's interning with us. His name's Terrell Medina. And I could see he was tired. We had just finished our second camp, and uh, we had three more to go in a row. No days off, no breaks. And he says, Corey, I got, I got a question. Can I ask you something? I said, yeah. He says, how do you do this? How do you keep going? Like, what motivates you? That's a great question. It's not like camp is the hardest responsibility in the world. It's not dangerous. It's a ton of fun. But after two, this guy needed some motivation. What keeps you going to endure, to persevere? And I want to answer that for you today, the long version. You ready? But first, let me just introduce uh, my family. I think there's a picture Now, that's my wife, Christine, our our two daughters, Shiloh and Talia, and Jude, and I just think we're cute. Really, like, there's a lot of cute families in the church, but we've got to be, like, top three. And we live in Albania, and Albania is, uh, I'll pretend you know nothing, it's a small country in southeastern Europe that most people have never heard of, many people have never been to. I'm always encouraged when some of you come up to me and say, I've been there before, um, But Albania is a nation where less than 1% of people know Christ. And we move there with a heart for the people, open to see what God would do and use in us. And we have become church planters alongside Arion and Melody Dieli, your missionaries as well. And we as a team have planted a church in the middle of a city where 90% of people would say they're Muslim. They're nominal, but still, I would say 90% of our church would say, I was a Muslim. And because of so many people believing in church planting, including this church, there is now a permanent church in the center of Pogradets. And I don't know if you can understand the the dramatic impact that has. There's a church next to the town hall, across from the courthouse, beside the largest mosque in our city. There's a church, a permanent church. And for the Albanians watching, they think, what is this? God's doing amazing things. People are getting saved. People get baptized. They're growing. They're serving. This is fruit. And we've lived in Albania for four years now. And guess what? It's hard work. And I'm not saying that as a, as a martyr. I like working hard. I like having a full plate. And there are seasons where it's harder, but the plate is always full. Especially in the summer. We did five camps in a row. Just crazy. Uh, now, raise your hand if you've ever been to church camp. Anyone. Just any church camp in time in your life, right? Camp is fun. Church camp is so fun. I like church camp. I'm not great at camping. That's a very different thing. But if you've ever been to camp, you know how you feel the last day, right? You're exhausted. You've lost your voice. You can't find anything. And for those of you who pick up your kids, you look at them and you think, what happened to you? You haven't slept in a week. You've eaten more candy than you're allowed to. This is crazy. Now imagine that five times in a row with hundreds of Albanians and Americans. It's exhausting, it's challenging, but it is so, so fun. And God uses these summer camps to save people. So thank you for sending teams for the last, what, five years? And please keep coming. You must come. So Corey, what motivates you to keep on going? What keeps you going? Now do you have moments in life where everything just goes slow motion? Right? You're like... And you get that 
extra, everything stops. And God gives you, let's call it a special slow motion moment where you get to calculate some things. And this is one of those moments, one of those moments where I thought, why do I do anything? Why do I keep going? Why do I do what I do? What's my motivation? And even though it was a few seconds, I thought about everything. And so my sermon this morning is that this message right now is my long answer to that question. What motivates us to keep on going? And my hope and prayer is that you are encouraged and you are stirred to live a life that is worthy to the calling you've received. So let's talk about motivation. That's a word we hear a lot. What motivates us? Now, I've worked with high school students for 15 years in multiple countries, and there's one fundamental truth about every high school student, and you guys might not realize this. They will do anything for points. Anything. I've seen kids eat awful food, spam, dog food, whole lemons for points. You, you guys embarrass yourselves for points. Blood, sweat, and tears for points. Young people could care less about what the prize is. They just want to be in first place. They just care about winning. Humanity as a whole finds all kinds of motivation. All of humanity is searching for purpose, for reason and meaning, and you can actually have a decent career motivating people. Motivational speakers are all over the place, and I took a moment this week to visit uh, Tony Robbins' website, probably one of the most famous motivational speakers, speakers in the world. He's got books and programs and videos and methods, and people buy this stuff. His site has sort of a short test to help you identify your weaknesses. And it goes something like this. You choose a number between 1 and 10. 1, you're not satisfied. 10, you're completely satisfied. And you get a statement like, how do you feel about your performance at your job? And so I answer, I'm like, eh, 8 or 9. I feel pretty good. And then the next question is, where do you want to be? I'm like, 10. And every question is the same. I'd say, eh, 8 or 9, but I always want to be a 10. And then you get this long list of all your weaknesses and all these problems you have, and then all the solutions are right there for you to click and add to the cart. And people buy this stuff. And I'm sorry if anyone in here has bought that. But seriously. Um, You can get motivated to be a better person, to get rich, to get ripped, to find your best life now, right? If you ask humanity what causes them to do what they do, everyone has a different answer. But for the Christian, we have one. There's one motivation, one ultimate purpose and reason we do what we do. Why are you in church? Why do you study the Bible? Why do you try to obey? Why do you want to follow Christ? Why do holiness and righteousness matter to you? What motivates me and my wife to move to Albania, to leave family and friends? And what did I tell Terrell that day? Corey, what motivates you to keep on going? And the answer is heaven. It's the ultimate answer. And we're going to unpack that. Now, before I start, I know Scott preached a sermon on heaven a couple weeks ago. I was with him about a month ago, and I've been studying heaven for months, and I look down, and I see his notes, and it's all heaven. I was like, oh, no. Scott Ardo is teaching out of heaven right before me. And someone literally said this week, oh, well, this is just going to be a test to see if you're better than your father-in-law. (laughs) they were kidding. But I said, Scott, should I do it? And he said, do it. We don't get enough messages on heaven. So this is going to be good for us. 
There are so many great things about heaven, so many parts about heaven that we have to look forward to. And right now, I'm just going to give you five truths about heaven that have to change the way you live your life today. Five truths that, if you believe in, will cause you to make decisions differently. Your direction in life will be different, and your joy in life will be different. In other words, these five truths about heaven will change your life today. So let's just answer, what is heaven? Maybe there's some people in here that haven't heard much about heaven. Heaven is the ultimate goal and prize of life. And yet, Christians, we know very little about it. You realize you are saved by Jesus. He saves you from hell. And he saves you into heaven. Christians dwell more often on what we are saved from rather than what we are saved into. Heaven is a word used in the Bible to describe two things. The first is to describe the universe we live in. The Hebrew language does not have a word for universe. So to explain this space we call universe, the Bible refers to heaven and earth. In other words, what's above and what's below. The second thing the word heaven refers to is the place where God lives, the kingdom of heaven. When we mentally picture heaven, our first thought is something like this. Do we have a picture? Yeah, that's heaven, right? Lots of clouds and sparkly stairs. We, uh, when, when we can look down and see everything below. We have white robes. That's kind of the common misconception about what heaven is. We're just floating around forever. And if this is what we imagine heaven to be like, I bet we don't want to be there. This idea of sitting around for eternity sounds awful. And the less we know about heaven and what it really is, the less we care about living for it. So what is heaven? Heaven is a place. It's a physical place. Revelation 21 describes heaven in great and specific detail, a place where every sense is overwhelmed. It's a place where you can see and touch A place where you can hear and smell. In heaven, you can travel from one location to another. As Revelation 21 describes the coming and going of the saints. In heaven, you can speak and sing. In a physical sense, many things you do on heaven, you've done on earth. Heaven is a physical place. Is it just clouds? Do we just float up there getting eternally tan? No, Revelation 22 describes it all. Heaven has everything, oceans and rivers, forests and mountains, many things like we have on earth. And the end of Revelation 21 briefly describes the role of government. There's order in heaven. It's a place with nations and kings who bring glory before the Lord. Heaven is not a place where we just bump into each other saying, we're just still worshiping. I'm still, hey, still worshiping. Heaven is a place with work and labor and leadership, much like we have today. But heaven is also so much more than this. Heaven is the eternal dwelling place of God. And Revelation 4 describes this where the throne room of God and his temple, where the angels serve and worship, and from the throne come thunder and lightning. And before the throne, the saints bow and worship beside a sea of glass. Revelation 21, there is no sun because in heaven God is the light. Over the throne fly angels worshiping, saying what we just sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the throne room of God. 
the worship of God, before God himself. We just had an amazing time of worship. God hears that. God is praised through that. But in heaven, we worship God in his presence, before his throne. For Christians, heaven is the prize. The prize of eternity in the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know if your brain melts when you think about eternity, but it's one of the craziest parts about heaven for me to dwell on. It's forever. It's always. Never-ending, eternal, everlasting, and without end. Revelation 22.5. That means the life you're living right now is nothing. It's a blink. It's smoke in the wind. Your life on earth now is a warm-up. And it's not even a very long one. It's a practice run. But how you choose to live your short little life matters forever. That's why heaven is so important. It's a real physical place where real, actual consequences of your short life are determined by God Almighty. And it's real and it's a big deal. And if heaven is real, and if it is a big deal, then we need to live today for what is important for eternity. So I want to share five truths about heaven that will change the way we live our life today. You ready? You ready? Yes. First, remember this. The treasure is in heaven. The treasure is in heaven. You can turn to Matthew 7. Go ahead and go there. This crowd Jesus is speaking to, listening, was full of people that were confused. Confused about what was actually valuable. Confused about what is actually righteous. They had been taught and influenced in error, and they needed truth. And Jesus gives a sermon to correct their error. And to teach what true righteousness and true value is. And so he says in Matthew seven nineteen through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do not store up treasures on earth. Now, I'm originally from Seattle. And this week, Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft, died. And he's a man who has in many ways built up Seattle. Huge influence. He died with $26 billion to his name. $26 billion to his name. And the most sad part about this story is that he has no family, no wife, no children. The treasure is not on earth. The treasure is in heaven. Store up treasures in heaven. It's a simple concept. The materials and possessions and money on earth, those things which are so valuable here, things which we can save and store, they are the same things which rust and rot and break down, dissolve, and that stuff is pointless in heaven. Jesus is saying the most important treasures you find are not in your life now, but they're in heaven because the treasure is in heaven. And the most valuable things you can possess aren't here. They're in heaven. Isn't that freeing to think about? Really think about it. All the money, all the valuables and prizes on this earth will disappear and all the treasure that life has to offer is in heaven. And it cannot be destroyed. So how do we store up treasures in heaven. Let's clarify. Now, we know your salvation has nothing to do with your works. 
Your salvation is about God's gracious work for you. You did nothing to deserve it. Romans 6, 23, it is a free gift. And you cannot contribute or earn that gift in any way. But the treasure in heaven that you must store up is about your work for God. It's your reward. And here's some crazy things about heaven. We are all be saved. We all live for le- forever. But we will not all be the same. We'll be rewarded differently. We do not all receive the same treasure in heaven. But according to our deeds during our life right now. You can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it describes this moment when we are judged for our works by God. Let me read 1 Corinthians Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, which says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. As a Christian, we are all doing work for the Lord. And your work is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. However, what you used and did upon that foundation, it will be judged, set on fire, And what survives that fire, that judgment, will turn into your reward. While others of you may do the bare minimum, you may have the appearance of serving Christ, when in reality you're storing up earthly treasures, treasures which rot and rust. And you stand before the Lord, and He judges your life, your work, and it's up in smoke. And you will be welcomed into heaven. You barely made it. You get in heaven and you smell like smoke. So to obey this command, to store up treasures in heaven, we must use our resources, use our money, use our time and our talents and our gifts, all means we have to invest in heavenly things. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Give to the Lord in his kingdom first. That means invest in your church, invest in missions, Invest in ministries that win people to heaven. Store up a treasury that welcomes you when you enter heaven. You see, the treasure that we're to pursue in life, it doesn't exist here. There's nothing this world has to offer you. And if you believe the treasure is in heaven, you will live differently than the world around you. You won't store up treasures that can rust and rot, but you will use your earthly wealth to produce heavenly treasure. And I love this. I love knowing that we will be evaluated, that there's a reward, that the way I use my life and my gifts and my finances will all be evaluated and all my works and my efforts will be burned up and whatever is not destroyed in that fire is rewarded to me and that motivates me. It's my prayer that he is pleased, that he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. The second truth we must believe, our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you pull out that license or that passport and it says something false and temporary. You are not American. You are not Californian. You are a citizen of heaven. 
first and foremost. Now, I live in Albania, and I live my daily life as a foreigner. I'm sure if you guys walk around Kingsburg and someone's from out of town, it's easy for you to see it. I'm that guy. We say, I, I am Ihuai. That means I'm a foreigner. I'm Ihuai. I'm a stranger. I'm an alien. I do not belong. And guess what? That makes me, in Albania, I'm actually really weird. That's what happens. And I've had to accept it. It wasn't easy, but I'm a weird guy. Uh, I do things all the time that make people laugh at me. It's a daily reality. I don't belong in Albania. Uh, if I say at 10.30, guys, I got to go to bed. They all laugh at me because they stay up till 2 a.m. I just can't do it. Uh, if I wear T-shirts in October, they laugh at me. Uh, I was at the gym, and I pressed, and they all laughed because I don't shave my armpits. Just, I'm a, I'm a weird guy. If I let my hair get long too long, they call me a sheep. If I wear sandals with jeans, I eat peanut butter, I wash dishes, they think I'm weird. Why? Because I'm not an Albanian. Citizenship is your identity. It determines from where, who, and what you are. And rather than pretend I'm Albanian, I just own it. I can't change everything about me to fit in with the culture around me. Why? I'm just, I'm not Albanian. I'm a citizen of heaven. If you can, turn to Philippians 3.20. Paul encourages the Philippian church to press on, to look toward the ultimate prize of faith, not to follow the example of those who walk as enemies of Christ, who glory in their shame and rejoice in earthly things, who are walking toward destruction. But he says, I'll read it again in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not say, one day we will be citizens in heaven. He does not say we could be or may be citizens in heaven. He does not say we hope or trust to be citizens in heaven. He says in the present continuous form, we are citizens in heaven. And that is where we belong. We do not belong here. And so we wait. We're waiting on the Lord to take us home, to take us to heaven where we belong. We're citizens there. And as a citizen, there's some benefits Right? Hours before Jesus was arrested, he comforted his disciples uh, in John 14. You can look there. A passage read to you a couple of weeks ago. Let's just read this again. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself and that where I am, you may be also. Isn't that exciting? As a citizen, you have a home, a place that Jesus is building and preparing for you. Your home is in heaven, and your citizenship is in heaven. Christians, do not get comfortable in this world. You don't belong here. If you're comfortable with the world you are in, if sin doesn't bother you, if you celebrate what displeases God, if you blend in with this world, you've forgotten. You don't belong here. If you see lost people, and if you're apathetic about the mission that we have, if you are spiritually coasting by in life, you have forgotten. You don't belong here. 
you've settled into a routine where you are not in need of these promises, your heavenly citizenship, your heavenly home, these heavenly promises of your dwelling do not cause you to feel foreign, do not cause you to feel temporary, do not cause you to know you do not belong. You have forgotten you do not belong here if you believe in Jesus. You don't belong here. Christians should be uncomfortable on earth. Christians must remember that the earthly life is a practice. It's a warm-up. It's temporary. And so what you do on this earth is only preparing you for eternity. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so until then, we're strangers. We're aliens. We're pilgrims passing through. We are Ihuai. And this must change the way we live. The third truth about heaven. Perfection is in heaven. Perfection is in heaven. And really, this is in two parts. This first type of perfection we will experience is physical. In heaven, we will all have physical bodies. These aren't just perfect bodies, but these are glorified bodies. Your sinful flesh has corrupted you physically. And the curse runs so deep, your flesh needs redemption. And so before you stand before the throne of God, before you can physically handle exposure to his holy presence, you need a new body. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll read verse 51 through 54, which says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must, be put, must put on imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Death is conquered. Christ has conquered death. It is his victory and the trophy of his victory is your new body. One that can endure the presence of God. One that can endure eternity. The perfection you experience physically in heaven is so much better than what you imagine. Normally we think, well, you know, we'll all be 18 and just fit, right? Just perfect ripped bodies. Six packs. Randy Alcorn says in his famous book, Heaven in Regard to a Glorified Body... This is so good. Most people are longing so much for a perfect body as for the sense and well-being and approval they think goes with it. Of this we can be certain. No matter what we look like, our bodies will please the Lord, ourselves and others. We won't gaze into the mirror wishing for a different nose or different cheeks, ears or teeth. The sinless beauty of the inner person will overflow into the beauty of the outer person. We'll feel neither insecurity nor arrogance. We won't attempt to hide or impress. We won't have to try to look beautiful. We will be beautiful. Physical beauty, no pain, no sunburns, no colds, no aches. I was recently told uh, that age really hits you at 37. Um, I'm 34, so I was terrified. And I'm trying to get, you know, my last good years in before I just feel like I can't do much. It's just slowly happening. But in heaven, our physical bodies are perfected. 
the sinful flesh you now sit in will be resurrected and transformed. And you will experience eternity in a body that never hurts, never ages, and never fails. We shared this last hour, in the first hour. Uh, this summer we got a phone call about an abandoned baby. He was left in the hospital and about to be sent to an orphanage in Albania. And his hope to ever be adopted was slim to none. He was born with uh, deformed hands, right? They're, they were not born right. And because of this, there's no chance of him really ever being adopted out of an orphanage in Albania. They said, do you know anyone that would take this baby? And without hesitation... We said, yes, you know, we have three kids. You just throw a fourth in there, and it's a factory line, and it was easy. We love this little baby. His name's Emiliano, and we're caring for him right now. Um, at this moment, he's with Ariel and Melody in their home, and, and when we return, he'll live with us, and he will be with us until we find a permanent home. And we are absolutely committed to helping him find a family that loves Christ, that can care for his medical needs, which will be several surgeries during his childhood. And every now and then, we stop and realize that God gave this little baby boy broken hands. And as a result, he will likely be raised in a godly home where he will likely know Jesus Christ. Emiliano will be thankful for eternity that the Lord used his broken hands to save his soul. God is sovereign over our temporary, imperfect, and broken bodies. But we will all experience a glorified future physical perfection. The second aspect of perfection we experience is in our spirits. It's spiritual perfection. Revelation 21.4, please turn there, says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It's over. The sin and pain and consequence of sin are over. You understand that means perfect relational relationship with God. Perfect relationship with His creation. Perfect relationship with one another. You will never sin again. No, you'll never hurt anyone again. And no one will ever hurt you. You will dwell in the presence of God and before Him, you will never sin. He will remove every aspect of sadness and pain. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea that you will be numb. You will be able to remember what sin is and that you were sinful and that you were saved from sin, but you will have no guilt or shame. You will be able to remember what sin is and not experience any pain or sadness, only joy, a satisfaction that is perfect. You'll experience a new reality of perfection, where perfection both physically and spiritually is not the result of being created perfect, but it's the result of redemption. And the only thing that makes our future perfection perfect is that it is the result of redemption. We were redeemed. We were bought with a price. And we can look toward that day. We will have perfection in heaven. The fourth truth we must believe is that the saints are in heaven. The saints are other believers, the redeemed people. And they will all be in heaven. 
Not only those you love who died before you, but every believer, billions of people. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something awkward. I want you to look at someone's eyes. Just, it could be a person next to you. If you're brave, look really far. It's awkward. Keep looking. I want you to look. That is an eternal person created in the image of God. Do you understand? That is a soul. A being that comes first in all of God's creation. That person you're looking at was made and designed to live for eternity. The saints are those who will spend eternity in heaven. And for eternity, you will be able to spend time with the citizens of heaven. We'll all be together forever. And I'm starting to make a list of things I want to do, right? Like I'm, Me and Paul are going to go get a long coffee. And me and Peter, we're going to take a long walk on the water. And me and Abraham are going to count the stars. And I'm, I'm serious. I want to meet Mary and Joseph. I'm going to sit with King David. And we can stand beside these great saints. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. This is such a great image of what heaven will be. Verses 22 and 23. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous made perfect. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ are brought into the city of God, heavenly Jerusalem, where a gathering of angels are celebrating, and with those angels is a gathering, the firstborn sons of God And that assembly are the saints, those who have faith in him, who are heirs with him, Titus 3, 7, who receive his inheritance, who are enrolled in heaven. But as we know, not every person will be enrolled in heaven. Not every person joins the assembly. And because of this, we must have a radically different view about souls. We have a radically different different view about death than everyone in the world. When a believer dies, we can rejoice. We celebrate and we can have hope, right? I want to see my grandparents again. I want to see my aunt. I want to see the friends and family I've known my whole life. I want to party in heaven with the ones I love. You know, I want to meet with the GCV team that came this summer and see the souls of those that are in heaven because of that trip. There's a girl who came to serve in Albania with us last year. Her name was Emily. She's a girl from the church in Washington where I'm from. And she says to me, hey, Corey, do you know my grandma? Her name's Joanne Davis. I said, yes, I do. It was Joanne Davis who had a conversation with my mom 40 years ago where she shared the gospel with her. And after the conversation, my mom accepted Christ as her Savior, and here I am with Joanne Davis's granddaughter in an Albanian forest sharing the gospel with people. It's just wild. It was because of her faithfulness to share the gospel that my mom was saved. God used my mom to save me. And now God is using me as he saves others, and, and that's how it works. And I want to line everyone up. I want to see... The, the line of godly people who led to my salvation. And, and then I want to see the people who are saved because God is using me. I want to be with the saints in heaven. And if we believe the saints are in heaven, we care about souls. We understand the urgency and the weight of reaching all people with the gospel. 
We understand that if we do not go, they will not hear. And that's our mission, to make disciples of all nations. We care about winning souls for heaven. We care less about the success of our children, and we care more about their souls. We care less about saying goodbye and, we, and more about reaching others. We care more about the mission we have to reach people all over the world and less about enjoying the time we have here on earth. Like I said, Albania is a nation where less than 1% know Christ, and we need to reach them. Why? Because they don't know. It's not that they know and reject. They don't know about Jesus Christ. And I want to see Albanians in heaven. I want to see souls won to heaven. And if we believe saints are in heaven, we care about souls and the people around us. Finally, the fifth truth we must believe. This is so good. Christ is in heaven. Christ is in heaven. In heaven... We have the king of kings, and his kingdom will be the kingdom of kingdoms. We have a treasure in heaven because of Christ. We have citizenship in heaven because we were redeemed and adopted by the work of Christ. We have perfection in heaven because Christ conquered the curse of sin and death. We have eternal fellowship with the saints in heaven because Christ has died for the chosen sons and daughters of God. And in heaven we have Christ. When Christ came to earth, he left his home. Philippians 2, he gave up his glory. This man, Jesus, a carpenter from nowhere, was God incarnate. Gave it all up so that he could claim his bride. Jesus not only gave up his glory, but gave up his life. Humiliated, tortured, and sacrificed so that he would be betrothed to his bride. And one day, though, will be a wedding in heaven. Turn to Revelation chapter 21, which describes this moment. Verses 2 and 3, it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God This holy city descends from heaven as a bride comes down the aisle. The heavenly city comes down to be united, Christ with his bride. This is the wedding. The saints united with God. We will be completely and fully united with him. We are that bride. We will be his and he will be ours. The entire work of God in creation, redemption, and salvation is all for this moment. When the gift of the Father is given to the Son, which is us, the bride of Christ. This is the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer for those who would believe. Look at John 17 real fast. Before his arrest, Jesus prays for himself, and then he prays for his disciples. He prays for those who would believe. This is the Lord's Prayer, John 17, verse 24 and 26. I'll just read a portion of it. Jesus prayed, Father, I desire that those, that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and, may be in them and I in them. 
we will be united. Just as a marriage unites a husband and wife, we will be one with him. We will know him and the love with which the Father loves him. Now, as I studied this truth that Christ is in heaven, I found that there are really only passages about our corporate relation, relationship to him in heaven. Meaning, we are the bride. We are the assembly of the firstborn. We worship together. He reigns over us and we rule with him. Our experience in heaven is always in a plural sense. But what will Christ in heaven be like for us individually? Even though the Bible only speaks about the saints corporately, that doesn't mean it's not an experience individually. But what will it be like? What will it be like to meet Jesus? To speak with Jesus? To to touch him, to be with him face to face? What will it be like? And and really, that's how you write a hit song. I can only imagine. I I mean, it's overwhelming. When I think about seeing the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the, lime, the Lamb of God, the bright and morning star, I want to bow. I physically feel overwhelmed at the fact that one day I will be with Jesus face to face. What will I say to him? What emotions and feelings will come out? Now, I told you about Joanne Davis, the lady who led my mom to the Lord. And last week we were in Washington and I feel this hand grab my arm. And it's this old lady and she says, do you know who I am? And I said, no, and she said, I'm Joanne Davis. And in that moment, I, I mean, I could just cry. I just want to embrace this fragile old lady and to thank her because God used her. And because of her and my mom, my family has been following the Lord. What, who would I be if it wasn't for her? And I just know all the gratitude and love that I have for this lady that I don't even know is a fraction of a fraction of the love and gratitude that I will have for Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.4, He chose me. Colossians 1.14, He forgave me. Romans 5.9, He rescued me. Romans 5.8, He died for me. Philippians 1.6, He preserves and sanctifies me. John 14, He prepares a place for me. Ephesians 5.25, He loves me, and I love Him, and I will give my life for Him. My entire life, and I want to be where he is. Christ is in heaven. And that's where I want to be. No condemnation. Now I dread Jesus, and all in mine is in him is mine, alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. We often hear that the Bible has surprisingly little to say about heaven. But I would argue that the Bible says enough about heaven, doesn't it? Enough for us to want to be there. What more do you need to know? And my logic is, and the reality is, if the, if the Bible is true, if Christ is Lord, and if heaven is real, then I'm going to be radical. And today, I'm calling you to be radical. I was asked this summer, and I'm asking you today, what motivates you? What makes you do what you do? Is it the truths of heaven? Is it the reality that your life is a moment and eternity is coming? Are you going to get up from your chair, walk out the door without even asking the Lord what more you can do for his kingdom? How can you serve him better? 
How can you devote yourself more to his word? How can you be a greater influence for Christ in your work, in your home, with your neighbors? How can you help your missionaries more? Your church is involved with some great ministries all over the world. And as one of them, I speak for all of them and say, we need you. We need your help. We need you to come and serve with us. We need you to pray and we need you to give. What more can you do? Don't waste your days. Don't waste your gifts. In Albania, death is so present. When someone dies, you go to their home and you sit around a dead body. And I've done this a handful of times. You sit there and you stare at this body. And the next day, that body is marched through the center of the city to a cemetery. And all the family and friends are behind it. Hundreds of people. And everyone stops what they're doing and watches. And it's really sad. It's a very hopeless process. But it, it, it's real. In America, it can be easy to forget you have a short life. A warm-up. You're vapor in the wind. Your life is nothing. And with it, please don't do the bare minimum. Do the most you can to gain the treasures in heaven, to live now as a heavenly citizen, to hope in your future perfection, and to see more saints enter his kingdom in your lifetime, and to prepare yourself for the day you meet Jesus. The real challenge I have for you today is to let heaven be so real to you Believe in it so much that it changes you. Randy Alcorn says at the end of his book, Heaven, the biblical doctrine of heaven is about the future, but it has tremendous benefits here and now. If we grasp it, it will shift the center of our gravity and radically change our perspective on life. And this is what the Bible calls hope. Hope. Present joy, which results from faith in heaven. And if we... You've heard it so many times, but it's true. We want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But you will not do well with your time on earth if you do not believe in the truths of heaven. If you decide to live in light of the truths of heaven, you cannot help but radically live for Christ in faith and obedience, looking toward the day you no longer need faith and hope, but you will have Christ Let me just end with two verses from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, which says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's look toward that day. And before we stand and walk out the door, ask the Lord, to give you a new and renewed passion to live today in preparation for the kingdom of kingdoms and the king of kings.